This episode is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. Logos Bible Software is by far my favorite and most used Bible study tool. I use it for sermon prep, personal Bible study, and it's where I've chosen to buy my books and build my theological library. In Logos, your books aren't just books. They're integrated with a host of tools that not only enhance the value of those books, but empower your study of Scripture. Listeners of this podcast can get a special discount on Logos by going to Logos, that is L-O-G-O-S, Logos.com, slash partner, slash Kirk Miller, and on top of that discount, they're even going to throw in a free five books for you. Be sure to use my special discount code Kirk8, that's Kirk8 at checkout, for any purchases. That'll ensure you get the best price. Or if you're new to Logos and you're unsure, follow that web address anyways, because there's a free version that you can get. That's right, free. Again, that's logos.com slash partner slash Kirk Miller. All right, now to the podcast. Hey everybody, Kirk here. You are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, podcast on the church, for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, as I said, and I am here with Dan Allen. Hi. And we are continuing. Oh. When do you want more? Uh, well, I'm used to. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna prompt it. Um, we're here to continue our conversation about translations, and we think this will probably be our last episode. We want to talk about common misconceptions about translations, mm-hmm. as well as some final thoughts about how we can use translations. How to choose one, yeah. Yep. How to choose yep. them. How to use them in our Bible study. Yep. So, common misconceptions, Dan. Let's hit the ground running. All right, yeah. Uh, I can give you one. I would say. This is probably more of a, not something that people would, if, if, if we stopped and thought about it, um, people might think maybe translations are some some person sat off in an office and they decided they were going to translate. You know, that is a little bit what happened with William Tyndale. Yeah. Right? I mean, he did seclude himself. Under pretty unique circumstances. His, his head was being hunted. It was you know, illegal. Was a huge... Yeah. Kind of hard um, to coordinate a, a group of people that way. Yeah, but primarily uh, the texts we have today, the translations we have today, are they're they're done with a group of scholars in council. Yes. Yeah. So um, I don't know which actually, um, <clears throat> which year this uh, the NIV one um, has this numbers from, but just take the NIV itself. Uh, it had fifteen uh, folks on the translation committee. Uh, uh, making up 12 different theological denominations or Christian denominations here on th- from three different continents. There was two females uh, and it was all sponsored by a nonprofit organization. So why that's helpful is that like it, it you shouldn't read it and assume like, oh, there's one person all by themselves with one theological bent. All their bias you know? just getting yes. put in there. Yeah. And you normally have... People who are New Testament scholars, who yeah. are experts on the New Testament, people yeah. on the Old Testament. So you get, you're not just getting like one person's take yeah. with their limited mm-hmm. scope. You have dialogue about things when there are difficulties in determining what's yeah. the text we should mm-hmm. use or what trend or like how would this, how should this be interpreted or whatever. So yeah. You got a group of people working together. Yep. Yeah. Diverse perspectives. Yeah. So yeah. that's just one misconception, which one thing just even to recognize about that is the fact of how, um, I, you might say revered. Uh, William Tyndale's translation was done. I mean, just how good it was. The fact that modern translations have such a group of such brilliant scholars, and yet 
he did hardly improve yeah. on his work. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. The guy yeah. was a genius. Just hats off to him. Yeah. Um, I would say probably the most common one, at least the one that comes to my mind immediately, is the idea of that, that this is a literal translation. The idea, even as we've been using <clears throat> that that phrase, like more literal or whatever, um, there's no such thing as a literal translation. Right, yeah. yep. If it was literal, like exactly equivalent, it would mm-hmm. still be Hebrew and it would yep. still be Greek. Yep. So there's always something lost or modified in translation. Mm-hmm. Something's changed because mm-hmm. you went from one one language to the other yeah. um, and you got to make it adapt. Yeah. Um, so, so when we talk about literal, we're just trying to say it's more formal, mm-hmm. but, but the reason that's important is because if you have the idea that this is a literal translation, it makes it this really hard, fast, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Like this one's literal, this one's <laughs> right. Everything else is wrong. Yeah. That's not exactly how it is. There's mm-hmm. always some adaptation and there, there can be some honest disagreement about how to go about that mm-hmm. and whether you're going to land more on the formal or more on the functional side. Yeah. Which leads to maybe another misconception, which is um, the idea that like blank translation is better than another one. Mm-hmm. Like which translation is the best? People often mm-hmm. ask. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that there aren't translations that are bad, um, and there are, or that there are some translations that um, at points there are points of translation, lines of <clears throat> translation that are maybe like, well, that's yeah, that's probably not as accurate. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, the translations we've spoken of, I don't know if I would want to say this one's better than that one. Mm-hmm. I would say based on what their philosophy is and what their methodology is, I would be more comfortable saying this one is better for this or this one is better in this respect. Mm-hmm. But that one over there, it, it, because of that methodology, mm-hmm. it's better for this. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really like to pick when people try to press me, what which one's your favorite? Mm-hmm. I'll say, well, I generally use the ESV, but... I think all the translations, generally speaking, have value for different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What's another uh, misconception? Mm-hmm. I, really, I was just gonna, um, I was I was gonna use something from someone else here. Go for uh, it. Well, this is from David Dave Brunn, which I mentioned in the last one. Uh, is his book one Bible, many versions. Uh, really f- fun book to read personally that I I found. He really goes through it throughout the chapters and just shows how all translations use both philosophies that, you know, we spent a lot of time on. Um, So really this whole, he's got a whole long list in his introduction just to kind of hammer in the point that every translation is not, like uses multiple methods. Um, But so I'll just give you a couple of statements. Like he says, every version gives priority to meaning of idioms and figures of speech over the actual words. In other words, none of them are literal. Like every version does it. And we gave an example on the first one about like God's long, he has a long nose. Yeah, like, no, no, no translation, translation that I've ever that. seen it does yeah. that because that wouldn't mean anything to our culture. Yeah. So at, there isn't a literal translation if you really want to say that. But they're going... Like, I would say there's one translation that gets closest to it, and yeah. I think it's called the Young's Literal Translation, oh, yeah. which is very which is obscure. Yeah. But yeah. if you if you want, really want to see something that tries yeah. to k- retain a lot of that stuff, yeah. does he does he put that on there? I don't know if he he might not even do the long nose thing, yeah. but he normally tries to yes. preserve. Yeah, and that, that one's sort of stuff. very rigid. It's very, but rigid. it is it, it's, it's not very readable at all. But it's yep. very it's good at what it's trying to do. Yep. Um, so I'll just. Pull out a couple more quotes. He's like, every version changes single words into phrases, even when it's not required. Covers that in chapter six. Every version paraphrases in some context. Uh, 
I mean, he's just got this whole long list of just saying every version does this, every version does that, and then he backs it up in all of his chapters to come to show that. Um, I, th- I don't. It's been a long time since I read the book, but I, maybe I could just read this quote here. Go for um, it. That I that I appreciated. So he says when when after he's given this whole long list, he says when we discuss the differences between Bible versions, we should avoid focusing on any of the translation practices included in this list, this big long list that he's given, because every version uses them. Of course, some versions use them more than more often than others do. But the discussion cannot be about how often these practices are used by any particular version. These practices, this is the point here, these practices are either acceptable or they're unacceptable. If we make an issue out of the fact that some versions use them more often, well, that could be like saying, I robbed only one bank, but the other guy robbed 10 banks, so he's guilty and I'm innocent. I love the point he's making. He's yeah. like, if you do it once, then it has to be acceptable. Now, you might not do it all the time. Like yeah. if you change in, like if you're changing a, the literal words and you're putting it in the receptor language so you understand it, like yeah. the long nose it's idea, in principle, then it's acceptable. It's not wrong. Yeah. Yes. So let's not like a poo-poo on the version that might do it more. Yeah. You might say, I don't want to do it as much as them. Yeah. But you may not acceptable. prefer it or yes. favor it yeah. as much. But you, if you've, if, if. If your favorite, if a translation is at least doing it once, they've said, you know, yes. it is permissible. Yeah. Even if it's not something they lean towards. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, maybe some misconceptions about the published translations that we have that I can just kind of rattle off here. Yeah. Is some like verses and chapters. We've mentioned this. Verses mm-hmm. and chapters are not original in the Greek right. and Hebrew. That was something that was added later mm-hmm. on. Um, so sometimes those can be helpful in, ter- in terms mm-hmm. of helping us all find the same place in the Bible, but also something that can be um, a little bit misleading at times. Mm-hmm. Like if a chapter break is put in the middle of a section where really the section kind of goes mm-hmm. right through the chapter break, yeah. the chapter break can make us think, well, this is a new section, right. or it can make you think the Bible should be read chapter by chapter. Mm-hmm. When really that's just like, those are just kind of spot markers mm-hmm. to help us find yeah. our place. Yeah. They're helpful when you're in a group. Yeah. So that's something to watch. Now I'm kind of talking about like our use of translations and not Mm -hmm. so much translation methodology. But another one would be the red letter um, stuff. So a lot of Bibles have red letter Mm -hmm. for what they, for like Jesus's words is the idea. Mm -hmm. You should just be aware that's not original either. Um, And I would also say sometimes there's some judgment calls that you have to make on that. So like in John 3, there's some debate about, um, you know, after the John 3.16 portion, is that still Jesus's words, or is that does that become um, mm. John the the, the, the book author, a- author editor? Is he yeah. now like inserting his own commentary? Mm-hmm. So those are something to be aware of. You're heading out at this point. No, go. Yeah, I'm gonna. Dan's gonna be heading out at this point. I'm gonna continue the rest of this one off. He's got a meeting, but um, let's see if I have any other misconceptions worth mentioning. Um. We mentioned this one before, but sometimes there's a misconception that modern translations have removed verses from the Bible because right. there might be a verse missing. But as we said in our last episode, that is often that's due to different um, understanding of the manuscript basis. Um, so it's mm-hmm. not that they're taking mm-hmm. a verse out; it's that they're saying, "Oh, that looks like that verse was added." Yeah. Um, and so there's no sort of funny business happening there. Sometimes that criticism mm-hmm. can be made. So let's well, I know one of the misconceptions that go can happen. One more, yeah. And this can be probably more from the outside of the church, uh, saying, well, there's so many Bible translations, like he 
Like you guys can't agree or something like that. Yeah, you can't agree because there's so many. Yeah. yeah. Well, in reality, the verses, I mean, we just explained why there's those differences. Yeah. So mm-hmm. hopefully we've deflated that criticism. Yes. The differences are um, valuable and not because we have like different religions going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Before you leave, you want to rattle off some of the um, what you have for the value of how we use them? I know you had a couple yeah, things yeah. here. In terms of like how how do I choose a translation maybe or? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Moving on to that. Yeah. Um, that's what you were asking, yeah? Right? Sure. Go okay. for it. Go for it. Um, sounds, sounds good. Yeah. So if, if I were to ask like what translation should I – if somebody asked me what translation should I read? Well, then you, you kind of probably want to answer first, like, what do you plan to use the translation for? Like, what are you trying to do? So if you're, these are some of the things we've already said before, but if you're doing in-depth study, you know, that's where a, a formal um, translation is going to be helpful for you. It's, it's going to force you to do some of the more in the interpretation yourself, ESV, NASB, King James Version. It's still, I think both of us would say it, it's helpful after you've done your hard work to Give a read of the NLT in this section if you mm-hmm. want. Almost like you know, a commentary in some yeah. Um, I you know I just did that. We're going through the Book of Ecclesiastes, which can have a, a number of interpretive um, questions. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I just did that the other day uh, in my section, just reading the NLT afterwards and going, oh, okay, there is validity at yeah, least yeah. to some of the decisions I was making. So, you know, Interpretive that, yeah. moves, yeah. Um, but if you're doing large chunk reading, like we've said, uh, it's nice to, I mean, I like trying both both of them, but in general, re- most reader friendly is going to be the, the functional, like the uh, NIV, NLT, yeah. uh, which are nice for that. If you're uh, a new believer, it, you know, again, readability like the the more functional versions are going to be a little bit easier for kind of you. Getting, kind of translating some of the jargon yeah. that you may not be familiar with yeah. if you're a new believer. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're just, I guess I would say, if you're looking for new insight on the in the text, just read whatever one that you're not used to. Yeah. You know, and, and let the words fall on you a little bit yeah. different. But I would probably guess that in general, you and I would be folks that if we, if we were to recommend someone to get one trans, just have one translation as their primary... We're probably going to lean a little bit more on the formal side. Yeah, I, um, I would say so. Because uh, it's going to allow you to do some of that more in-depth study that yeah. you and I both think is valuable mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to tend to the actual... I mean, understanding that scripture is inspired even down to the details yeah. means that we should care about those details. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that functional translations are therefore illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible, as we saw... Um, the New Testament oftentimes translate or cites the Septuagint translation of the Greek translation, yes. translation of the Old Testament. Sometimes that translation is very rigid, and sometimes it's very loose. And nonetheless, the New Testament uses both. And so mm-hmm. there's validity, mm-hmm. um, I think, there. Um, but if we are to attend to the inspired details of the text, a uh, translation that captures those details. Is, is very helpful for that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right. I feel like, uh, did you watch Mr. Rogers growing up? Uh, yeah. That's good. You feel like Mr. Rogers because you're like getting yourself all dressed up to leave? <laughs> My sweater looks like his. In the middle no, of not, the... Not of that. No, you do not want sweaters <laughs> like that. I do, um, you don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, because, you know, Mr. McFeely comes over for part of the episode and he talks and then... And then he bounces. And then you say goodbye to him, but Mr. Rogers is still there. I'm Mr. Rogers right now. There you go. I'll, you're going to head out and I'm going to keep talking yeah. to the mic by myself. So I will close out. You have anything else you want to add? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I'll close out then with some tips on using translations 
um, or why we would use translations, different translations in our study of the Bible and, and tips for how to do that. And so one of the reasons I would say we should use different translations um, in our study of the Bible is just is just as Dan was saying before, is to kind of see, you can kind of see some of the interpretive differences at times or um, where maybe the text is a little bit difficult. And so one translation takes Ow, it. Oh, step is broken. I don't think so. <laughs> see ya. See ya. Where was I? So to be able to see that one translation um, goes one way and one goes another, that tips you off to say, oh, I guess this isn't as clear cut maybe as just having one translation before me would would seem to indicate. And you're allowed to, you're, it, it puts the decision-making um, in your hands and, and helps you be more informed as you interpret scripture. Um, you can also be able to get with, you can have your more rigid translation on the one hand for looking at the details, and then you can have a little bit more of a functional one that would maybe help um, help illuminate some of the sense for you as well. So there's just value in using multiple translations. Um, just cause they're, they're good at different things. And so you gain, you gain the value that they have when you use them, the different values that is. Um, so that would be my case for using multiple translations when you study. That's what I do. That's what Dan does. Um, we use different translations as we study some things that you would want to be aware of when you use different translations is, um, your different translations are going to have the publishers are going to have used different, um, features most likely in your in your book that you have in your published Bible, for example, um, a lot of them will have different ways of marking off when Scripture is being cited. So a lot of times, Scripture cites other Scripture, especially the New Testament. It will cite the Old Testament. Some translations um, will put it in all caps. So anytime there is a um, anytime the New Testament, for example, is citing the Old Testament. It will let you know that that is a citation by putting the words in all caps, or maybe it will put it in italics, or maybe it will put it in quotation marks. And then oftentimes, if you have like a reference Bible, um, you'll be able to, it'll, it'll give you like a little superscript, like a little A above it or a little B. And if you look up the, the A or the B in the footnote or in the reference column, it'll tell you where they think that passage, what, what, what passage is being cited. So say Isaiah 7 is being cited in Matthew. Um, behold, the virgin will conceive. Well, there'll be a little superscript there, probably, or something like that. And then it will, you correspond that. It says Isaiah 7. You're like, oh, he's citing Isaiah 7. Well, that's a really helpful thing to know about. Every book's, every translation is going to be different. Public, publishers are going to be different in how they do that. So check out your preface and see, take a, take time to read your, the preface of your Bible to see what is my translation doing in terms of those tools, in terms of those features to help me out. Um, so, so citations of the Old Testament. For example, um, you can also, some, some translations will also at times, um, have footnotes that give you, as we said before, um, it will convert metrics for you. So when it says cubics in the ESV, I think oftentimes they have a footnote that says that's this many feet, um, or, um, different time, like the third hour of the day was this time of the day in art, how we think of it such and such PM or AM or whatever. Um, oftentimes they may make other notes, like some manuscripts have this. And so we haven't included that because we don't think that's that was original. So in, now you're into the realm of text criticism again um, in terms of determining what was the original text. But, you know, a lot of translations will at least put in the footnote, we don't think this is original, but, 
you know, you might, the King James used to have it in there. And so we want to put it in the footnotes so you're aware of that. Um, or something along those lines. So they'll let you know about text critical decisions. Or if they say it could be read this way, like say that was a particularly difficult line to translate. And so we want to let you know that this is a possible other way it could be translated. Um, they'll let you know about that. And there's other things. So check out your footnotes. Sometimes, um, like I, I believe the NASB does this. There are just times in translation where um, something is implied but it's not literally said in the Greek or Hebrew. So oftentimes this is the case with like a pronoun. Um, so for example, if a verse says, he spoke to us his word, but in context, it's quite obvious that it's God spoke to us his word. Some translations will just go ahead and say God to make it obvious. And different translations have different ways of um, making that clear that they're adding something that's not in the original. It is, I mean, in some ways it's in the original because it was implied in the original, but they want to they want to let you know like literally speaking it's not in the original. So like the ESV will oftentimes make footnotes for that. I think the NASB puts things in italics when it adds them. When it's sort of adding words that it sees as like sort of being implied that will help you um, understand the translation. But it wants you to know like if they're going to add words, some translations want you to know they're adding words so that you can still tell what the original ones were. And so they'll put the added words. Um, in italics. Or sometimes, some translations will put, um, if there's a, rather than like I was saying before, sometimes if there's a verse that the ESV doesn't think is original, they'll put it in the footnote. There's other times where they might put it in brackets. So if they think, this may not be original, but we still want to include it in the, uh, in the main body of your, of your Bible, like the end of the Gospel of Mark in chapter 16. There's the second half of chapter 16, which a lot of scholars don't think is original. But most translations will still include it in the body, but like the ESV, I believe, puts it in brackets to let you know, like, this may not be original. We're going to include it in the body. It's a pretty large section of text. It's something that a lot of Christians are familiar with, so we don't want to just, like, take it out. Or we're not so confident that it's not original that we want to totally remove it. But we do want to put it in brackets to let you know that there's a good chance this isn't original. Or I think the beginning of John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery is another example where... I think the ESC puts that in brackets. Um, we've talked about the red letter, the words of Christ. Some trends, like the Bible I have doesn't do that. I, pref I don't prefer that. I like to just have it in black. Um, but just to be aware that that's not original. That's just a stylistic um, decision. Some translations will translate pronouns referring to God. Some won't. Um, and then one final thing um, I would say in terms of features that you can be aware of to make use of is... Um, anytime you see capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, Lord in all caps, that is the translator's way. Typically, most translations do this. Some tra the, I, the, I think the American Standard Version actually translates that Yahweh, but most translations retain the tradition of putting it in all caps L-O-R-D. When it's a capital L-O-R-D, that is a way of translating and letting you know that the original there was Yahweh. So the Jewish people had a tradition that whenever they came across uh, the name of God, Yahweh, they would pronounce it Adonai out of reverence for not actually pronouncing the name. Um, and so there's, I believe the tradition that we have in our English translation sort of comes out of that. And out of reverence for not actually translating it Yahweh, there's this trend, the tradition of translating a capital L-O-R-D. And that's helpful because that will help you um, know the difference between when it's just 
Lord without being capitalized or if just the L is capitalized. That's a different word. Um, that's a different word. Um, there's one other thought I had. Oh, yeah. Maybe one other thing I would say is the ye, you. So like in the King James, you get the ye, Y-E. That actually can be helpful. I know we can kind of joke about that, like thus he saith and things like that. And it sounds kind of funky, right? But the you and the ye can be helpful because the ye indicates that it is a you plural. Like people in the South would say y'all. The ye indicates a you plural, whereas you is singular, just you individual. And so in English, unless you're going to say y'all, which I don't really like to do because I'm not Southern and I kind of, it just catches me as kind of funky and weird. Um, I can't bring myself to do it. I want to say you, but it is helpful to know when we say you, am I referring to you all or am I just referring to you as an individual? And the ye, you distinction can be helpful for that. So that's something you can be aware of as well. I think the American Standard Version actually retains that, even though it's not in, it's not that old. It was done in the early 20th century, I believe. Um, so people didn't actually say you and ye. It nonetheless, back then that is, it nonetheless retained the you ye distinction because it found it as a helpful feature for helping us in English know when in the Greek or the Hebrew it would have been you plural or you singular. All right. Um, so those are just rattling off some things that I think are helpful when it comes to uh, using your translation. Again, your translation is your primary Bible study tool. So I hope that this series that Dan and I uh, did was helpful for you in thinking through how you got your translation, why you should appreciate having a translation, just the great the gratitude we have that, that we have God's word in our own language, um, and understanding our translation better, understanding why the differences exist, understanding how to value different types of translations, interacting with those who may have stronger opinions about their translations, um, and just all in all becoming better readers of God's word in the process. All of this, at the end of the day, is because we want to be able to pursue the mission of the church, the mission that God has given us as a church more wholeheartedly and more faithfully. We want to be followers of Jesus who are more and more transformed and matured in that respect, following him more wholeheartedly. And being able to understand our Bibles is a piece of the puzzle in doing that. It's helping us understand um, God's word as we have it today in our own language and the tool that it is in reading God's word and understanding it, not just so that we can read it, not just so that we can understand it, but that we can live it out, following Christ and pursuing the mission of the church. All right, till next time.